With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh, my God. How could he do that? Are you on? What? Charles Darwin. All right. Well, today we will be continuing our NBA season previews because we are now less than two weeks away from a big day when this whole thing will get started. And so we already talked about the Atlantic and Central Divisions last episode. You can go ahead and check out that episode where we really break down what we expect from each team in both of those divisions. Today, we're going to take on another two divisions, talking about the Southeast, so we will be rounding out the Eastern Conference, and then moving on to the Southwest, where there is a little bit of chaos, and honestly, we don't really know what one team in particular will even look like when everything is said and done, because, hint, hint, James Harden is very, very unhappy. But let's start at the top of the Southeast, where I think there is a clear favorite. It is the team that is coming off of a finals appearance, one of the more impressive accomplishments in recent memory. The Miami Heat, I have them atop the division comfortably. I have them fourth in the conference. Logan, where do you have the Heat, and what do you expect from them this year? I have them fifth in the conference, and honestly, Carson, I expect very similar results as to what we saw last season. They were a pretty average team in the regular season, uh, seventh in offensive rating, 11th in defensive rating, and I think that's what we're going to see again this season. They didn't do really anything uh, to get exceptionally better in free agency. They brought back the guys they needed to, Goran Dragic. Uh, They bring back another wing defender in Mo Harkless, which I think is a great addition, especially if you're going to lose a guy like Jay Crowder and Derek Jones Jr. You're going to need another wing defender to supplement what Crowder did for this team in the playoffs last season, and it gives another guy alongside Andre Iguodala potentially as LeBron stoppers if they can get that far uh, again this season, but I think Like I said, I just think it's going to be a very similar season to last one, even in the sense of when we get to the playoffs. This Miami Heat team, if Goran Dragic is playing at full capacity on offense, is a team that I could see getting back to the finals. They just play that style of basketball where they can kill you with their three in defense. If they are shooting well enough, if Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson are lighting it up enough, if Kendrick Nunn and Goran Dragic are running the offense competently and Jimmy Butler is getting his points when needed, uh, this is a team that I can see winning. I can see them beating any team in the Eastern Conference, really, just because of how they play basketball. So, really, uh, we're going to have to wait and see until the playoffs because this certainly wasn't a team I expected to make the finals last year. And I wouldn't predict it again, but I wouldn't be surprised if Miami got back. Uh, I think the 
Uh, real X factor this season, though, is good, just going to be if they can if they can replicate what Jay Crowder did for this team midseason uh, with Mo Harkless. If their perimeter defense is stout, if Iggy Butler and um, and Mo Harkless can hold down the perimeter, uh, this will be a team that is in title contention once again this season. So. For a lot of the reasons that you already laid out, I really see no reason why they can't repeat and maybe improve upon last year's success. So when I compare them to a team like the Sixers, who I know you have above them as the four seed, I just have too many questions about Philly to have them above a team that has such a successful and pretty replicable formula. And although I was a little bit cynical about the Heat's playoff projectability last season, and I had a lot of questions about how they had played down the stretch in the regular season because they were basically a 500 team for the last 36 games but there are also reasons to suggest that they can do better this year and they already proved that 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 formula worked into the playoffs last season Jimmy can be even better the 24% from three that he shot last year on two attempts per game is completely uncharacteristic and maybe he's going to continue to be gun shy from there he took a few more in the playoffs and looked a little bit more confident there but at the same time you could still see just this trepidation to take those shots which is strange and his preferences to operate out of the mid-range and get to the line but I do think he will not shoot that poorly from the perimeter, which potentially opens up another level to this offense as far as him creating out of the pick and roll, as killer as he already was inside the arc. And also, there's just the reality that they may be healthier this year. They were 38-20 and 20 when Jimmy played last year. They were 6-9 and nine without him. So if he's healthy all year, they're on a 54-win pace if it's an 82-game season, which is certainly a level above what they actually finished at in the standings. Same thing with Goran Dragic. They were 514 games that he didn't play in, so maybe he'll be healthier, and that could take them up another level. And when I look at the young guys on this roster, that is really where I see the swing potential for this team because... I'm confident that they will be as good as last year. How do they get better if Bam takes another step, if Hero takes another step? And I honestly feel that Bam can really only improve. I'm fascinated in seeing how he grows. Hero has already started to show that growth as a creator and a playmaker. And then if you look at another quote-unquote young guy in Duncan Robinson, he's going to produce no matter what because he has such a simple role and he excels so much at what he does. And you talk about replacing Crowder with Harkless, I think a really important addition, who you didn't mention as much, is Avery Bradley, because swapping Crowder for Bradley is at least a wash, in my opinion, maybe a win. I prefer Crowder to guard fours. I think that obviously he's more physically imposing, and he's also switchable. He can move his feet, but I think Bradley is probably the better all-around player, and then positionally, I do think Harkless can supplement some of what Crowder did. I don't love Harkless overall. I don't love him as a shooter. He's certainly not the defender that Crowder is. But at the same time, Crowder was an inconsistent shooter, and he was still able to have consistent plus value because of his defense. Where do you see Bradley fitting in with this really deep guard rotation in Miami? Is he running the three? Is he backing up uh, PG minutes? Where is he getting his minutes in this deep rotation? Well, I think that he's probably just your backup shooting guard effectively, and I think that he can excel in that role. Maybe he starts at the three. Maybe he gets significant minutes there, but I do feel like you have to expect a starting five of Drogic, Hero, Butler, Robinson, and then Bam, and maybe they start Bradley and continue to bring Hero off the bench. I don't really expect that considering what he accomplished late last season. And also, of course, Drogic came off the bench this past year, and we'll see if they replicate that. So I guess I really don't know. I don't know who their best five is going to be this year. I think it's the guys who I laid out, but maybe that's not their starting five. Either way, though, I think Avery Bradley is a really good player. We forgot about how great he had been last season a little bit because obviously he wasn't there for the Lakers. But as you mentioned, there's a bunch of talented guys on this team, and it's going to be interesting to see how each of them carves out a role. For example, Precious Achua, 
who they just invested in highly in the draft. I feel like he's not going to see much time. And although I was a little bit skeptical of him as a prospect, I thought that some of the stuff that people got excited about as far as his handle was really something that people's mouths water over and the guy is a little bit bigger and it doesn't always matter if you can't knock down the jump shots off the dribble and all that. But the dude has a motor. He's physical. He has defensive potential. And in the Heat system, he's a guy who could really thrive. Do you see him really playing of much of a factor at all with this team? No, but I mean, he's definitely a plus defender. If you need a guy to sub in, I think he'll be a great backup five, backup four when they need him. I mean, it's... I think of Achiwa as almost a contingency plan for Harkless. If Harkless doesn't perform, if he's not knocking down his shot, if he's not rebounding well, well, you just have another high-energy guy you can plug in and play. So uh, I like the pick for uh, Miami. He's he's just a really good defender, and in a system like Miami, that's really all you need, guys who can shoot and guys who can defend. It's interesting, and maybe we even see him play a little bit of small ball five to where his shooting or lack thereof doesn't hurt you as much, although they do still have Myers Leonard and Kelly Olenek. There's just so many quality guys here. So you say the X factor is them replacing Jay Crowder and supplementing what he did because obviously you're right. He changed the way that team played basketball and significantly improved their perimeter defense, which enabled everything that they did down the stretch. To me, the X factor though, and I touched on this already, is the progression of Bam and Tyler Hero because they made the finals last year and that is fantastic. It was in a different landscape out east and in my opinion, an inferior one. The Bucks are better. Obviously, you have a completely new beast in the Brooklyn Nets. The Sixers are probably going to be better. So everyone around you is getting stronger. The Celtics, maybe just by the nature of the progression of their young guys, are going to be better. So these two guys, if they're going to truly emerge as a title contender again, probably have to do more than they did last year because Bam excelled in his role, obviously. A defensive player of the year caliber player completely changes the game on that side of the ball. But offensively, although he grew so much as a playmaker, and as a pick-and-roll role man, it was a fantastic lob threat. His game is still relatively simplistic. He shot 22% on 94 mid-range jumpers. It really wasn't part of his game. We saw him do a little more attacking off the dribble and operating a little bit more out of floater range in the playoffs, and that was fantastic. But if he can really solidify that mid-range jumper, he doesn't have to stretch it out to three. But if he can just knock down those shots out of short-roll situations, so then he has to keep defenders honest. Or if he can become a legitimate scoring threat out of the post, so he can introduce more post play into his game, where he could certainly make some incredible reads out of. Then he could be really special, like bordering on top 10 guy in the league kind of special. So that's what I look at for him. And then for Hero... It's can he grow as a pick-and-roll ball handler because he was only 26th percentile there last year. It wasn't a majority of his offense. And can he grow as a shot maker off the dribble because the dude is a dead eye, but he benefits greatly from the spacing that they have in Miami and from just running off screens and knocking down in those situations all day. He was only 33% on pull-up threes last year, 41.6% on pull-up twos. So if he's going to truly take the next step, it has to be creating for himself, potentially closing at the level that a Drogic and a Jimmy Butler can We've talked about a lot of reasons why we expect this team to either stay the same or improve this coming season. Do you have any concerns, any red flags with this group that does seem to have a really high level of continuity and obviously established what they can do last season? I mean, if Jimmy Butler goes down, that's really the only reason I can see this team dropping off in wins or an injury to a guy like Bam Adebayo. But uh, I really think you hit on it with Hero. If Hero pops... This team is going to be deadly next season. Uh, we've seen with these Kentucky guys, the Devin Bookers, the and I really see a similar play style in a guy like Tyler Hero. If if they maximize this potential, if they let him run the offense, if they just, I'm telling you, just let Hero go wild like we did in the playoffs. He was their second best shooter in the playoffs. He was up there and scoring for them. I think if we see Hero in a much bigger role, I mean, 
we could see a heat dynasty potentially, Carson. If both of these guys pop, like you said, uh, we could see back-to-back championship appearances and maybe more in the future just because of how young and how built this team is for the future in Miami. Uh, what do you think? Do you think we uh, do you think we see an improvement out of Hero this season? Is not just I know he's the X factor. Do you genuinely think that we are going to see a not an All Star level, but maybe bordering on that out of Hero this season? I personally think it's more likely that Bam takes the steps that I talked about because he has decent touch. So if he adds that consistent mid range jumper, it just feels like it's over for everybody else. Honestly, Hero. I have my question marks. He improved throughout last season, as I said, and we saw him really affect the game all around where he was a pretty gritty rebounder in the playoffs. He was making better decisions with the ball as far as setting up others. But I still have questions about him creating for himself just because he lacks that elite first step. He's not incredibly comfortable knocking down shots off the dribble consistently yet. And again, making decisions out of the pick and roll. So these are things that a guy like Devin Booker They all applied to him as well, and he grew into them, and he was able to establish himself in the unique mold of the elite star on the ball and off the ball, the kind of guy who could be a primary ball handler or a secondary ball handler, and there is a path for Hero to get there. I don't know if it happens ever, though, and I don't know if it happens in his second year in the league also, and I do think sometimes we undersell how incredibly special Devin Booker is. I always say it. He's the most versatile scoring guard in basketball, so no matter what, it should be a really good season for the Heat. Maybe they could climb a little bit higher than this. Maybe they could fall a little bit lower in the standings, but they will certainly be a relevant playoff team when all is said and done. The only minor concern that I would raise that you didn't is if Goran Dragic takes a step backward just because he is 34. At the same time, he's coming off of a stretch of basketball in which he looked the best that he has in a few years and was incredible for most of the playoffs. So I do think there's reason for optimism there. All right, let's move on to the team that I have second in the Southeast who has emerged from a much lower spot in the standings because they significantly improved this offseason. I have the Atlanta Hawks second in this division. I have them eighth in the conference. Where do you have the Hawks, and what do you see them doing this year? I also have them second in the division and seventh in the conference. I mean, I don't think any team got better than the Hawks in the offseason. I think they had the best offseason possible. You bring in Bogdan Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, one of the best young centers in the draft, and Onyeka Okongwu. You get deeper at guard by bringing in Rondo and Chris Dunn. I mean, the Hawks killed this offseason, but I'm not just ready to give them a playoff spot or give them all of these wins because I do think there are major concerns with this lineup and the biggest concern is Trey Young and what I mean by that is look I love his ability I know what he can do for an offense I know how many points he can put up but he had the fourth highest usage rate last season at 34.8 and it just concerns me as if Trey Young's offensive game is going to translate to winning and I I know that seems far-fetched for a guy that puts up 29 points per game this team was uh, 17th in points per game. They were 26th in offensive rating. While Trey Young was getting his, nobody else was. So it makes me nervous as to if Trey Young is going to want to spread the ball, if he's going to want to share the basketball in a really uh, well-oiled offense, or if he's just going to want to have his ISO minutes because there's talent around him for sure with Gallinari, and there's going to be amazing spacing. But if Trey Young doesn't want to share the basketball, it's not going to translate to wins for the Atlanta Hawks. So that is my one major concern with this team. They are certainly more talented. I certainly expect them to win more games than they did last season than 20. But it's all going to be dependent on how Trey Young plays basketball and how well all of these new pieces can gel together. So uh, I'm confident in them. I think they're going to go about 500, but uh, it's all on Trey. 
I completely agree. There are a number of questions with this team, and that's why I know you have them above the Indiana Pacers. I couldn't go there just because I saw a formula that was replicable with them. I saw great team defense, all these things that make me really confident that the Pacers will be good again. And I'm optimistic about the Hawks this year because you just have to listen to this top 10 guys that they have to understand why. Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, John Collins, Clint Capello, Danilo Gallinari, Rajon Rondo, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, Onyeko Okongwu. There's not really going to be much of a need for anyone outside that group to play unless maybe you want to throw Chris Dunn in there to get one decisive defensive stop. So that's a really talented group. But there are some fit issues here, and I can, I'm a little bit concerned about some of the chemistry stuff that you raised. Personally, I don't really like that they're starting Collins over Gallinari. I get that you want to keep your young guy happy, but that means less spacing. That means that Collins and Capella have to share pick and roll touches more. And obviously, I know that Collins can space the floor at a high level. That doesn't mean it's his preference. This is a guy who came up as a back-to-the-back player and a lob threat, and he has expanded his game. But Gallinari is the kind of guy who lives on the perimeter and who can take over half his attempts from three. So there's just a different feel to that. And I do think you inhibit Collins' offense a little bit by playing him alongside Capella. But... The Gallinari edition is huge. It's a 19-point-per-game scorer who, as I said, took over half his shots from three and made 40% of them last year. So there is not really a much better fit alongside Trey Young that you can have because the vision has always been put him alongside high-level wing defenders and floor spacers. Gallo fits that bill perfectly on one side of the ball, has his issues on the other, which is another big concern for me with this team as far as the defense. But just to speak to the value of the additions a little bit more, you now have a competent guy running the second unit with Trey Young off the floor in Rajon Rondo. And last year, that was something this team had a huge issue with. They collapsed when Trey wasn't there to orchestrate everything. You have another legitimate creator off the dribble in Bogey, which means more opportunities off the catch for Trey, hopefully less turnovers, hopefully less excruciating possessions where he has the ball for the entire time and then, you know, either throws up a shot or maybe forces a pass in somewhere. Because just to speak to what you sort of identified as the key for this team, I think we are going to get a much better sense of whether or not Trey Young plays basketball this way because of circumstance or whether that's just how he's wired and that's how he's going to play for the rest of his career. Because I don't want to draw that kind of conclusion based on his first two years with a poor supporting cast, but there are causes for concern. So we'll see how he can take strides there, but I am still really pessimistic about the defense, which I do think will probably hold this team back. They were 28th in defensive rating last year, and although you have added a legitimate rim protector in Capella, He is your only plus defender out of your top six guys. And even he was famously played off the floor because of a lack of switchability in meaningful playoff series. So you're rinsing at me a little bit. Who do you see as the other plus defender? Because I'm saying their top six is Trey Bogdanovich, Collins, Gallinari, Herter. Well, I'm just saying that I think DeAndre Hunter, if you're going to talk defense, he's probably number two on this team. Number one is a wing defender. I agree. But how much is DeAndre Hunter going to play? Because obviously he started for all of last season, but... There are a couple guys in that front court who just got sandwiched in front of him. Yeah, I think he starts at the three, honestly, but I know his minutes are going to get eaten into because of Collins and Gallinari. I still think that Hunter's going to get 28 minutes a night because you can't run a lineup of Collins and Gallinari or Reddish. You are you are asking for it if you don't put DeAndre Hunter out there with Trey Young to get buckets by the opposing team's three. I think I think they have to have Hunter out there for defensive necessity. So... I have another couple questions about how this team is just going to project going forward. When I read off the 10 names, the last guy who I said was Onyeko Okongwu, who was the sixth pick in the draft, an incredibly promising player who I know we both think highly of. What do you think his role is this year? Uh, I think, well, obviously he's going to be the backup five to start out, but if they don't like Clint Capella's fit, if they don't like how he's 
just how he fits in the offense. I think Okongwu could take his minutes just because um, stylistically they just play different basketball. Capella is a rim runner. He's a shot blocker. He's going to set screens. I think Okongwu would just be a he's a better playmaker. He's a better screener. He's I won't say he's as good a defender as Capella, but I think he just brings a different offensive style uh, to the Hawks. I think that just because of how he moves the ball and how he sees the floor, I think he could fit better alongside finding open shooters. Uh, it's definitely something to try, and we'll see as we get into it. Uh, but I think I think Okongwu could be the starting five for this team by the end of the season. Interesting. I That's interesting because I think that then means that we're looking at a world in which they move on from Capella pretty quickly and maybe he was just a brief transitional piece. I don't know if I expect that to happen, but it is certainly something to look out for. Uh, a very specific question, Carson. As a John Collins uh, pessimist, can the Atlanta Hawks go over 500 with John Collins and Gallinari on the roster? I think so because the offensive talent is now overwhelming, but... The X factor to me, like you already said, is how does Trey Young adjust? Because this is a guy who ran easily the most pick and roll in basketball last year, and he's now playing with a couple of really gifted scores with the ball in their hands in Gallinari and in Bogdanovich. And Collins is going to get his production offensively. I do think it suffers a little bit having to play alongside Capella. And I'm fascinated in what the minutes distribution is going to be with Gallinari and Collins because, as you mentioned, I don't know how they ever play together, and certainly if it's a front court of Gallinari, Collins, and Capella, I do not like that whatsoever because it's just a defensive nightmare, and offensively there are big issues there as well. So it does feel like they're a little bit loaded as far as the fours and the fives go right now, maybe too much so, but I do think that this offense can flow. I do think it can be productive, and just to touch on it again, it really is going to go with Trey Young because this is a guy who has had the ball in his hands for the entirety of his first two years in the league. When he hasn't, there have been times where he's done some really impressive things. He made almost 47% of his catch-and-shoot threes last year, but it was less than two of them a game because who's creating for him out there? There's nobody. It was an offensive desert besides Trey Young. So having Bogdanovich there I think is going to be huge. He's the kind of guy who can run the pick and roll. He's the kind of guy who can get his own shot in big spots and just keep defenses honest. And then everybody else benefits from that spacing and added creation. So to answer your question in a long roundabout way, yes, I do think that they can succeed in spite of the questionable fit in some respects. And that just comes back to the chemistry question because it's not just Gallinari and Collins, although I'm interested to see if Gallo is willing to come off the bench for the long term. It's is Trey Young willing to give the ball up more? Are Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter okay being sent to the bench? Does this team have the identity to play hard on defense, which is going to be a necessity for them if they actually want to make any noise in this conference? I don't know. Those are all questions that I have. Let's move on to another team that has some similar questions as far as offensive fit, who's willing to give up the ball, what is their identity, how do they play defensively, but... Whatever you think of those questions, they are certainly an intriguing and relatively talented squad. I have the Washington Wizards ninth out east. Where do you have the Wizards, and what do you expect from them? Uh, I have them ninth out east as well, and at this point, I don't know. I'm just along for the ride here in D.C. I, I like the pickup um, of Russell Westbrook specifically for this team. I mean, just stylistically how they play basketball. They were last season they were just kicking it out to three and trying to put up as many points as possible. And with a guy like Russell Westbrook, if he can collapse the defense, Bradley Beal's gonna eat, Davis Bertans is gonna eat, uh these other shooters, uh Denny Avdiha, if he's getting minutes alongside them, Troy Brown, whoever's out there is gonna benefit from having Russell Westbrook on the floor if he wants to kick the ball outside. That being said, 
Look, I'm not expecting Russell Westbrook to come out here and play a completely different style of basketball. I know what we're getting. He's going to put up a lot of inefficient shots. He's going to turn the ball over a lot. He's going to pad his numbers. Uh, But it's really just going to be how he can fit alongside Bradley Beal, how they distribute who handles the rock, because we know Russell Westbrook can't play off ball. That's going to really be where we see um, what this team can do, if they can do any damage in the playoffs, if they can crash the party at all. Just how Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook fit alongside each other. I think defensively I have some concerns with this team as well, especially with how bad off they were last season. They didn't make a whole lot of moves in that regard. I mean, they made, they got Westbrook, they drafted Avdija, they signed Robin Lopez and Raul Neto. This bench didn't improve whatsoever. I think this is a very mediocre team, Carson. I think that they're going to be poor again defensively, but I think Russell Westbrook coming in gets their offense up enough to the point where they're going to be very similar to last season. They're going to make a lot of threes. They are going to allow a lot of points, but out east it's not really going to matter that much because the competition isn't as heavy. And just because Russell Westbrook is there, even if Brad Beal goes down midseason, I think the Wizards are going to be in the playoff conversation towards the end just because that's the Russell Westbrook effect. Him as one player will make a team competitive but ultimately, I don't even think it will be enough as, as you said, the Sixers have gotten better, the Nets have gotten better, and the Wizards are just going to be middle-of-the-pack bottom feeders again uh, this season. Yeah, they're certainly better, obviously. They would have been better if they had John Wall back, and they are going to be better having Russell Westbrook. But the fit to me is what's so fascinating because you touched on, I think, both the potential upsides and the downfalls of having Russell Westbrook in the system because you think on paper it could be liberating. You give liberating. You give him space, you give him pace, you give him shooting alongside him. But the thing with Rusty you already touched on is the system really just doesn't matter. And I found a stat that was too good for me to not tweet out yesterday. So this team was third as far as passes made in basketball last year because that was a huge part of their offense. It was ball movement that was part of that pace and space attack. Here are where Russ's teams have ranked in passes made since tracking data began seventh years ago, seven years ago. 29th, 30th, 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 27th, and 28th. He is the system. And part of what scares me is you talked about how he will carry any team to, at the very least, mediocrity. That's what he's going to feel like he has to do here, I think. He's going to look at this roster and say, Thomas Bryant, who the heck is that? Rui Hachimura, who the heck is that? I'm going to go 2017 mode where I just do everything And that would be a disgusting misuse of this talent. It would be, I think, offensive to the system that has been established here that really worked. There was no reason for this team to be 16th in offensive rating last year. There was no reason for this offense to run as smoothly if it was Jordan McRae or Bradley Beal facilitating, and they managed to accomplish all of that. So I do have my concerns as far as offensive fit there, and then defensively will be an issue for this team again. They were 29th in defensive rating last year, showed no interest whatsoever in that side of the ball. And they'll probably be slightly better there because they will care. For example, Bradley Beal is the kind of guy who was a poor defender last year, but has traditionally been solid to maybe even a plus defender when he's in committed situations where he actually wants to play on that end. But the defense still wasn't going to improve by that much because the personnel is just bad. I think that obviously Russ's fit is the first thing that we look at. But how do you feel about this supporting cast? Because compared to a team like, say, the Hawks, I don't think it stacks up. There's a reason we were talking about this team as one of the worst rosters in basketball before last season. And although a lot of those guys improved and impressed a little bit last year, it still doesn't feel to me like it quite stacks up. No, I I don't like the fit, really. Um, With Russell Westbrook in the starting five, I guess, uh, specifically, Roy Hachimura is just not a good enough three-point shooter to play on this uh, in this five starting lineup-wise. And 
I guess what I wish the Wizards had done this offseason was just go and get more shooters. A guy like Christian Wood would have fit well. I know that they probably would have had to move some cap around, but Russell Westbrook is maximized, and we saw this in Oklahoma City. Having Steven Adams out there, a great rebounder, a great defender, he can't space the floor. If I just want one team to try it, Carson. Just And the Rockets kind of did last season, but with Harden getting so many ISO minutes, just try it. Just give Russell Westbrook as many shooters as possible. And just see what happens, because Thomas Bryant, Roy Hachimura, in those starting five minutes, Westbrook is just not going to have as big an effect as he could on the floor because these guys are non-shooters. He's going to have two guys to pass to, Beal and Bertans, and they're going to eat, but there's just not enough shooting on this roster to make them extremely competitive. Not, not nearly as much as there was even last year, and... I guess that's my real fundamental issue with Washington. When you have a guy like Russell Westbrook, who is already a non-shooter, you have to have as men- as little of those in your lineup as possible. And the Wizards don't. So I want to talk about two of the guys you just mentioned, because I think that Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant can kind of swing how far this team goes, because I'm a big Rui guy. I like his ability a lot. He's the kind of guy who easily gets to his spots and can be pretty powerful physically and can compete on the defensive end. And obviously the shooting from deep is the biggest question mark. It was the reason I actually didn't like him coming out of college because how does he project if he can't space the floor? He did shoot 37.5% from three on almost two threes per game post-All-Star last year, so there was improvement. At the same time, very small sample size, not exactly the thing that you can run with and say, okay, he can space the floor now. So can he consistently knock down threes off the catch at the very least? That is huge to fitting alongside Beal. And Westbrook, because he was only 30% on catch-and-shoot threes last year, he attempted almost no pull-ups, so I'm not expecting him to suddenly have that in his game. But if he can space the floor, he's a weapon. If he can attack closeouts hard, he will be imposing on straight-line drives. He can already play out of the post and can knock down pull-ups out of the mid-range. So it's just about having the threat of that shot at the very least. And then Bryant is interesting. He's an efficient role man. He's a solid floor spacer. He's got good touch. There's a lot to like about him offensively. But the issue with so many of these Wizards guys is defensively because he's just not there as a rim protector. He's not really laterally mobile enough to get out onto the perimeter and be highly switchable. There are other young guys who I like on this roster. Troy Brown Jr. I think showed us a lot and can be a real facilitator and the kind of guy who can run pick and roll and improved as a pure shooter of the basketball to where he is solid there now. Feels like Denny to me could kill it with this second unit, but it all does come back to Russ and Beal. And maybe if they fit perfectly, it's enough to elevate this team into the playoff conversation, but... When Bradley Beal is coming off of a season in which he was a pick-and-roll heavy, 30-point-per-game scorer who everything was built around, now you have a guy who comes in and completely changes that and is corrosive to your play style and is going to think that he is the best player and he is the one running the show. I just have so many concerns there, and it makes me wonder if maybe keeping Wall would have been the better decision. It's not like Wall is the kind of guy who likes to play without the ball in his hands, but he said that he was open to it and that it was something he would try to do if he were to play alongside Bradley Beal. And Russ, we just know that's not the case. We just saw it alongside James Harden. He's not going to be a willing cutter. He's not going to be able to punish or scare anyone with catch-and-shoot threes, obviously. And so that's just an issue, and it comes down to me the fit, the supporting cast, and the defense for sure to where I can't quite put them in the playoff conversation. Anything else that stands out to you about this team? They're going to be fascinating to watch. I just don't know if they're actually going to be that great. Let me ask you an over-under, Carson, then, with your Russell Westbrook stat. Are the Wizards 20th or worse, uh, over-under 20th in passes this season with Russ on the roster? Great question. I am honestly going to say that they are under, meaning worse, so 21st or lower, because 
I just think in some ways last year was really fun for the Wizards because Scotty Brooks kind of got to look at this roster and say, okay, how can I make us competitive? And Bradley Beal was able to do so much with the ball in his hands that we hadn't really seen previously and grow as a facilitator and as a pick-and-roll ball handler, all these things that he had done in the year prior, but really at an incredible volume. And I feel like that kind of all goes away once you introduce Russell Westbrook to the mix because, again, the system dissipates and it just becomes him doing what he wants for the most part. So that's really all I have to say about the Wizards. I have the Magic one spot below them out East, 10th, and it was relatively close, but honestly, even though I have fit questions, it's tough for me to put the Westbrook-Beal tandem below these guys because we know what this team's ceiling is offensively, and it is quite low, but where do you have the Magic? What are your expectations for them this year? I also have them 10th. I mean, the Orlando Magic just have such a boring roster, such a boring offseason. I was hoping to see an Evan Fournier move, maybe a full tank job. It seems like the Magic are vehemently against it. Uh, I expect the Orlando Magic to once again be, you know, a top 15, a top 10 defense. That's what they do well. They play they play defense well. Uh, the, the, kind of the opposite of what we saw out of the Wizards last season. They didn't really make a whole lot of uh, big moves. Again, I expected a Fournier move. They did lose uh, DJ Augustin, which I think is going to hurt their young guard rotation. But if... Uh, if we see Cole Anthony ball out, if he gets touches alongside Markel Fultz, I think that's really where we see the swing in uh, wins for this team. If Markel Fultz can improve on his you know, 12 points per game, if he can come into his own and become the what we expected him to come into when he was drafted number one overall, if he can start shooting better from behind the arc, which uh, not just Markel, even with uh, the three-point shooting, I think you could apply that to nearly anybody on this team outside of an Evan Fournier. Uh, Vucevic could develop his game. He shot 33% last season. Um, Terrence Ross uh, is a good off-the-bench scorer, shot 35. Aaron Gordon only shot 31. Three-point shooting was just hard for the Orlando Magic last season. If each of these guys, basically the X factor in my opinion is three-point shooting from this roster because we know they're going to play great defense. If they can shoot well from behind the arc, I think maybe a, a sneaky playoff contender um, with the playoff in with the play-in games, and then just the young guard rotation because we've already seen the rest of this lineup. They're not getting any better. Fournier, Ennis, Gordon, Vucevic—they're all pretty much carved out NBA players. We know what to expect. They're all pretty solid, but the swing is in fault in Anthony on how much they can grow uh, as young competitors and how how much they can score the basketball for this team because this team desperately needs off-the-dribble shooters and perimeter shooting. If they don't get it out of their ones, they're not going to get anywhere from the rest of this rotation. To me, where I lie with Fultz is pretty contingent upon just one issue, and I think it's obvious it's been the thing that has plagued him since he came into the league can he knock down shots off the dribble? I'm talking about jump shots here, and when that happens, he will be a different player. Unless it does, he will be the same version that we saw last year, which is a solid guy who can facilitate out of the pick and roll, who can make some people around him better, a solid decision maker, all of that, but not a really significant player as far as impacting winning. And this is just kind of how I feel about a bunch of the guys on this roster, Fournier, Ross, Gordon, Vucevic. We know what they are. They're good NBA players. And the team defense is going to be enough to make them competitive out East. Maybe some people will remain Aaron Gordon optimist and say he's going to make the change and he's going to, this just isn't the right system for him. Obviously, I think that honestly in his best version, maybe he's a small ball five because he can defend at a high level and he's versatile and he can space the floor well enough in that role, but he's not the kind of ball handler pick and roll creator that he seems to think he is. So I don't see that changing this year because there's nothing really forcing him to make that change. So when I look at the X factor for this team, 
it to me lies with the young guys. And you talked about Cole Anthony already. I think that he could be dynamic. I want to see what he really provides as an addition to this roster. I want to see what Chumo Okeke looks like because this is a guy who was a first-round pick a year ago and we didn't see him at all last year. But he fits pretty well in Orlando. He can space the floor. He can attack closeouts at the very least. And he has potential as a multi-position defender. So there's intrigue there as far as a guy who could be impactful. And then I look at Mo Bamba even because... If he suddenly pops, and if maybe he takes a little bit of a jump and can progress as a role man and become more disciplined on defense and improve his shot, then that could be impressive. If Anthony can facilitate and be the offensive spark plug that this unit desperately needs now, that would be reason for optimism because the Augustine loss hurts a lot. This was one of the better six men in basketball last year, and now they have nobody who I can really confidently say is going to run that second unit and make the people around him better. Maybe it's Cole Anthony. He didn't really prove that he could do that in college. It was one of his weaknesses as far as being a true point guard and facilitating and making good decisions. So I'm not overwhelmingly confident there. And then, of course, not having Jonathan Isaac hurts a lot. So unless Bamba suddenly pops or the rookies take these big jumps, I just feel like this team is the same as last year's, maybe slightly worse. They were 23rd in offensive rating. They were 19th in the league in net rating. That's kind of just where I feel they fall again this year. They're mediocre and there's a lot riding on unproven young guys for them right now if they are actually going to take a jump because other than that for the bench, it's MCW, Dwayne Bacon, Ken Birch, Aminu. We know what all these guys are. Ennis is a nice guy to have on the team, but not really impactful as far as winning. So it's just going to be another magic season and over the past couple years, it probably would be a good enough roster to still, to still snag the eight seed out east because the conference has been so poor. Now, I think with a team like the Hawks, they've clearly jumped above them, and I don't really see them making that playoff push anymore. When does the My question for the Orlando Magic is just when does the bottom drop out? Because it seems like, especially out east, they've just been avoiding a rebuild forever. I don't know when you deal Gordon Fournier. I thought this was the offseason there's just there's going to be a year where the Orlando Magic have to drop off because they're just getting too old. They haven't won anything and all of their players are getting older. Uh, one of these one of these seasons I think you have to just go drop into the full tank like the Pistons did. It's interesting because they've really committed to this core. They paid Vucevic and Gordon a bunch of money and they're kind of just in with what they have right now, but Fournier is an expiring and you're right. I think that at some point they have to be decisive and say, what is the future of our franchise? Who are we going to build around? Because racking up 15th picks in the draft just isn't good enough considering the caliber of team that they are. And that's what happened for them this past year. That's really all I have on the Magic. I think it's a similar team to what we've seen in years past. And in those years past, it has been an excruciatingly boring team. So they don't really deserve all that much more time. To wrap up things out in the Southeast, we have a team that looks very different than they did last year. And I personally am very excited to see how they look this season. The Charlotte Hornets, I have them 12th out east. Where do you have them? I have them 11th, but I'm, I, I went on record last season when we started out and I said that the Hornets were going to be the worst team out in the east. Uh, this season, I have completely flipped. I am so happy with what the Hornets did this offseason. As long as, the only caveat to that is only if, if Gordon Hayward stays healthy, if that contract does not eat them up here in the future, if he is... If he's a contributing player putting up, you know, 15 points per game, not anything crazy, as long as he's just a contributing member on offense, I really like this young core that they have built out here. Um, Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier are dynamic shot-making guards. Uh, Graham a little more, and if you don't like them even better, 
you can move them because they're such valuable commodities in the league. Maybe not Rozier with his contract, but other young talent out here. Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington. The Hornets are just so young and talented. I think any way, any way they play their lineup, this is going to work because these guys are just going to get better. There are minutes out there in the rotation to be taken. Uh, this year, they're not going to do anything crazy. They're not going to make the playoffs. This is just a year for this young talent to grow. And I'm excited just to watch it. LaMelo Ball, I think, is going to thrive here. He's got a lot of veteran talent in Zeller, Hayward, Rozier, guys that are going to help him make this transition into the league better. Uh, it's just going to be fun basket, fun young basketball to watch out here in Charlotte. And uh, I think their ceiling is really contingent on what LaMelo Ball can do for them this exact season. Uh, again, Hayward's a strong addition, but he doesn't change their offense dramatically. He's just another shot maker and scorer. Uh, but it's really just going to be contingent on how LaMelo can pass the ball, how he gels with this offense, and how he can produce in his first year. But it's going to be fun to watch. I'm a big fan of Hornets basketball, and I know that I don't have them quite as high as you in the conference. I perhaps foolishly have them below the Chicago Bulls just because I think the Bulls are more talented and their guys are a little further along in their progression right now. And with a competent to good coach in Billy Donovan, I think there's a little bit more reason for optimism there than there was in the ugly days of Jim Boylan. I know you have been scarred by that team, Logan, and I understand why you would want to stay away from them. But I have mixed feelings about this team because although I enjoyed them last year, Although I like a lot of their individual players, they were statistically worse than their record. They were 28th in offensive rating, 25th in defensive rating. They felt better than that to me, maybe just because I liked how they played where they moved the ball and they had a lot of young guys who I saw do some promising things. And as you mentioned, I really do like this young core, Devontae, Rozier, Bridges, PJ. I like all those guys individually. Obviously, the question is who among them has the star upside, and I don't really know if any of them do, but... That doesn't matter as much when now you have your supernova talent entering in LaMelo Ball. And I also really like the new addition of Hayward a lot as far as fit. First of all, he's obviously a really good basketball player, but he's an above-average pick-and-roll ball handler. He's the kind of guy who can just create offense on all three levels and will elevate the players around him as well. But one of the concerns I have about this squad, and particularly about LaMelo's development, is who is the guy who he's going to be able to lean on out of the pick-and-roll? Because he excels in pick-and-roll situations. He just plays with great pace and can make some unbelievable finds and some great passes into really tight areas and just has vision and the ability to kill people with the floaters, all of that. We'll see how he grows as a shot maker off the dribble. That is a huge question. And then, who is the role man? Because right now, it's Zeller. And I don't want Zeller being the guy who LaMelo Ball is running pick-and-roll with early in his career. Logan, you're nodding your head. Maybe you do. I don't feel great about that, and it's not going to P.J. Washington. He's not that threat off the roll, so I'm really not sure how great LaMelo will be immediately because the lack of the shot is a question. We still don't really know what that is. Obviously, there are questions as far as the form. The touch is there and is established. We had a pretty small sample in the NBL when he didn't shoot it particularly well, and then I also have questions because of what I just mentioned, the lack of a reliable pick-and-roll partner, and because of, of course, the defense, and that's a question I have about this Hornets team as a whole. I just don't really feel great about them there. So there's a bunch of questions with this team. How do Bridges and Washington progress? Because I feel like they both need to take some sort of step. Graham is always just going to be that Cinderella story. He was thrilling to watch, produce at the level he did last year as that pick-and-roll creator, making other people better. One of the best pure shooters of basketball we have, Rogier. Took really impressive strides last year, excelling off the ball, and we know what he can do as a playmaker and as a plus defender as well when he's fully committed. The dude just has a special energy, but we kind of know what they are at this point, it feels safe to say. PJ and Bridges are still earlier in their development, and 
PJ, I like in a lot of ways, but I want more if it's a more refined post game, if it's a better handle so he can create for himself. Just something because right now there is clearly a ceiling on him because he's not that dynamic role man. He's not a plus defender. So what can he be offensively beyond just a good floor spacer? That's a question I have. And then Bridges, the pure shooting is a question. He was 33% from deep last year. So I want that up. Do you look at those two guys as being key to the ceiling of this team as well? And what do you expect to see from them in this coming season? Do you think they take significant jumps or do you think they kind of run it back and look a lot like what we saw this past year? I would bet on we see very similar uh, performances from them that we saw last season. But I think the Hayward signing brings in an interesting dynamic that if you bring Bridges and Washington off the bench, just let them handle the rock. Just let them take over that second offense and see what they can do. Because like you said, if you don't give them any opportunities, you're never going to see any growth out of them. I think if you start LaMelo, whatever, your guard rotation's figured out. Let PJ and Bridges see what they can do offensively and see if they can grow their game because the starting minutes are taken. At that point, just let them run the offense and see if they can grow into ball handlers, if they can grow into scoring machines because if you don't give them the rock, you're never going to see anything out of them anyway. I think this is, for Charlotte, where they are in their where they are in the East, this is the year to just test everything out and see what happens. It's interesting to me that you say that the guard rotation is figured out because that to me is an X factor for this team is how do these three guys fit? Because there are a few really talented young guards in Charlotte, obviously LaMelo, Graham, and Rozier. And Rozier has already made the switch to where he was that guy who played a lot with the ball in his hands previously. And now he was able to adjust off the ball and excel as a catch and shoot guy. But Devontae Graham was a volume point guard last year. He ran a bunch of pick and roll, and he could theoretically excel off the ball. He's 42% off the catch. He's a fantastic shooter. But then you diminish the value of his passing, and I don't know how eager he is to do that. So I don't know if there's enough ball to go around for them all. I don't know who comes off the bench because I think that LaMelo and Graham are probably the two best, or maybe Rozier will be better than LaMelo to start with, but they're going to just want to put the keys to this offense with LaMelo. But... I don't really love their fit together. I would probably rather have Rogier starting alongside LaMelo because of the defense and because of the off-ball ability. I don't know how good LaMelo is to begin with. So all of these things kind of concern me as far as how these guys divvy up their minutes and their touches and how that affects this team's chemistry and success. I got two last things on the Hornets. One, Carson, as a basketball expert, are you a James Borrego guy? I am a James Borrego guy. I like him. Um, my final thing then, Malik Monk, what does he do this season, Carson? 50 points per game. He shatters Wilt's record. <laughs> he does it with 15 dunks, and the rest is all on threes, and he wins MVP unanimously. No, in all seriousness, I really don't know. I think that we saw him improve, actually, towards the end of last season, and then he had the drug suspension, which derailed things. But we've seen reason to be optimistic about him in the past at the same time he shot 28 percent from three last year which was not fantastic he was getting prioritized lower than Dwayne Bacon as far as the rotation early in the season and he overcame that and he got better but I just don't know how eager the Hornets are to continue to invest in this guy who doesn't seem to be willing to play winning basketball and who has these character issues as far as what he does off the court so I'm optimistic about Malik because I love the guy I think he's a special talent in some respects but I really don't expect all that much from him this year. So that is it for the Eastern Conference. We are now done. We will run down our full standings 1 through 15 in a couple episodes when we 
talk about awards and playoff expectations and all of that. But if you want, you can just go back and listen to last episode and it will be clear enough as is. So let's get started with the West. First, we have the Southwest, which I think is probably the weakest division out of the ones out West this year, just because it is a loaded conference. I do think there's a clear front runner at the top. I have the Dallas Mavericks fourth. I thought long and hard at putting them third. This is where I settled. What do you expect from this team? Yeah, I ended up putting the Mavericks third, and I don't know how confident in that because there are so many questions in Dallas this season, I think especially more than any. Um, uh, the X factor for this team, in my opinion, Carson, is going to be Kristaps Porzingis. He, he was last season, and even more so with this major knee injury, another one, there's even more concern with him coming back. But I, I the concerns aren't even just with his knee. The concerns is with his style of play. Last season, 43% of his shots came from deep. We, we've discussed this. If Kristaps Porzingis does not want to go play inside, it severely limits what this Mavericks offense can do. And even more so, with him out defensively, the Mavericks were 18th in defensive rating last season. Unless Tyler Bay comes out immediately and can shut down the other team's leading scorers or play small ball five, uh, the Mavericks could struggle inside defending as well. I think... It's just, this is going to be a real boomer bust season, depending on what Kristaps Porzingis can do and what these rookies, Josh Green, Tyrell Terry, and Tyler Bay can do. Because if Luka goes down, if they struggle out of the gates, this could be a very disappointing season, I think, in Dallas. Although in saying that, I think that Luka Doncic is going to be MVP level, top tier uh, conversation this season, just because he's he's such a smart offensive player. This team was the best historically the best offensive team in basketball ever last season. So uh, offensively, I don't have any issues. I think that losing Seth Curry hurts, but Tyrell Terry will supplement that uh, easily. It's all going to be dependent on how Im how much impact these rookies can have right out of the gate. And if Kristaps Porzingis is a shell of himself or if he is going to come out and play New York Knicks Porzingis basketball. KP is obviously the key to this team's success. And ultimately, a lack of faith in both his stylistic approach and his aggression, and also in his health because he's coming off of a torn meniscus, which is not promising considering his injury history, and they're shooting for a January 1st return, but we don't know exactly when he'll even be out there on the court. He's just always going to put a ceiling on this team unless he is able to truly be that kind of guy who can also take over the game scoring and not just by knocking down a bunch of threes or by taking contested fadeaways out of the post that really aren't good shots for him once he gets involved in the pick and roll once he's willing to attack more off the dribble spin out of the post and dunk on some dudes all the things we know that he can do but just hasn't wanted to until that happens there will be a bit of a ceiling on this team and when I compared them to the Nuggets who spoiler I have third I just had more confidence in the sustained success of the Nuggets because we know that they have two guys who can thrive at a high level. Logan, your head, you look shocked. You don't have the Nuggets close to third. You know what? That's a conversation for a different episode because that was a little bit of a spoiler nugget that I just dropped right there. But this Mavs team is obviously really great, and I think that there's only reasons to expect them to improve for the most part because they have 10 really good guys. You can run down the names. Luka, Josh Richardson, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, KP, Maxi Kleba, Dwight Powell will be healthy again, Jalen Bronson, and then Terry, Bay, Boban. It's a really good team, and it's a team that was better than its record last year because obviously it was the league's best offense. It was the best offense of all time. By net rating, they were the sixth best team in the league because even though their defense was eh, they were able to compensate for that by being just so exceptional offensively. And I think 
Luka will be better. I'm confident about that. As incredible as he was last year, there's no indication to me that he won't be. They were 26th in clutch offense, and I think that that's largely because Luka was looking to that step back three too much, and as the game sort of slowed down and got a little bit more congested, he wasn't attacking as much. He wasn't getting downhill, getting to the line, knocking down floaters, these things that he normally excels at. He shot 17% from deep in clutch situations. I think he improves there. I also think he just improves as a percentage shooter from deep because he's under 32% on a huge volume from deep. And the reason for that is he's taking primarily step backs there. I think that maybe he can get a little smarter there. He can work his way into the lane even more because once he gets in there, he's pretty much unstoppable. He can get defenders on his back with no problem. He draws fouls. He has the best floater touch in basketball, and he can find literally anybody who was open on the court. So I want to see him take a few less threes or at least smarter threes where maybe he's doing something off the ball because coming out of Madrid, I thought he could be a weapon off the ball as well just because of his pure shooting ability that he showed because he is a good shooter. It's just about being an efficient shooter from deep, and... I think Richardson helps him a little bit there because that's a guy who can take the ball out of his hands and make things happen. He's a solid pick-and-roll ball handler. He's a decent secondary playmaker. Obviously, you still want the offense to run primarily through Luka, but like what we have with Bogdan Bogdanovich and Trey Young, and Bogdanovich is a better creator for himself, undeniably, on the offensive end than Richardson, but you have a little bit of a switch up in the rhythm of this offense. They come a little bit less predictable, and they just have more versatile weapons. So I like that pickup for them a lot. Even though you lose a great shooter in Seth Curry, you add another dimension to this team. And then also defensively, you have improvement. But ultimately, there's just a few too many question marks to for me to put them really among the true elite of the West right now. I certainly think there's a world in which they get there because Luka maybe the best player in the league next year. I don't really think so because of his deficiencies defensively, but he will very likely be top five because he's already around that conversation as is and the dude is 21 years old and constantly improving but what version of KP do we get that's a big question for me and Richardson's fit is also a question because even though I like the pickup we gotta ask can he thrive off the ball can he play real high level defense can he create well enough when needed I think he can probably do all those things but you are adding a wrinkle into this team other than that they look pretty similar they were great last year they were better than their record I think they'll be better than they were last year this season Carson, do you think that the Mavericks blew their wad by going out and getting Porzingis? Wow, I, it's a question that I think has to be asked. Honestly, no, and the reason for that is they didn't give up any value that's going to keep you up at night. Dennis Smith Jr. was the centerpiece of that deal as far as current talents, and that is a huge win. So I think it's something they had to do, but KP just looks nothing like the guy that they were expecting to get, in my opinion. That was a guy who I thought had potential to be a top-five player in the NBA because of his aggression out of the post and because of the athletic dynamism that he utilized. The dude is still a good athlete. You would have no idea. He doesn't roll the bucket. We've talked about these things hundreds of times over, so I don't want to harp on them anymore. But to answer your question, I think it was the right move. However, I do think they have come to the realization that it is not going to be a one-two punch that carries them over the top. It is going to be Luka, and KP can maybe be your second guy, but if he's your second guy, you need to have a really good third guy, and that is what they are still missing when it comes to truly contending out West. Luka will make you very good no matter what. This is a supporting cast of guys who fill their roles at a high level. We'll see what strides they take defensively. They're well-coached. All these things make them a really good team, but the truly great teams need to have those multiple guys who can kill you, and the Mavs just don't have that right now. So they're an interesting team, and I think that they are going to launch to the top of this division, which was not a position that they held last year because they finished below the Houston Rockets, 
who I have second in this division. I have them eighth in the conference. I wonder if you're going to agree with me there because I know that I think Vegas odds has them 10th and has them missing the playoffs. I still believe in them. Of course, there is the huge question of whether or not James Harden even plays for this team. Maybe they finish 13th because they never get the beard back out there. But I think that the indication is with as much as he has tried to leverage against this team and basically just not abide by any of their requests, the fact that he hasn't been moved yet says to me that there either isn't a market or they just are not going to trade him no matter what unless he holds out, which NBA players just do not do historically. So I do think he'll be on this roster, and because of that, I do think they're a playoff team. But Logan, what do you think about the Rockets? Do you even have them second in the division? Are you expecting a full-on tank job? Because you're giving me a look over there. There's a little twinkle in your eye. What do you see coming for this team? I have them 13th, Carson, just as you said. Woo! I Look. I love James Harden, and I think that if he plays basketball this season, that the Rockets are going to be somewhere between 6th and 8th. But what incentive does he have to come back and play basketball for the Houston Rockets? hes They've paid him more money than any person needs. Adidas has paid him more money than anybody needs. Like, there is no monetary value for James Harden to come back and play basketball for the Houston Rockets. And you're telling me that the big move this offseason, in the past two offseasons, when you have traded for one of the greatest point guards of all time in Chris Paul, one of his old friends and a former MVP in Russell Westbrook, your big swing this season to say, hey, James, come and play for us, for us in training camp. Let's get ready for the season is, yeah, we brought in John Wall. Sure, James Harden's going to want to come and play basketball. Well, I'm not crapping on John Wall, but that's your big move? That's Yeah, we got Christian Wood and John Wall. Those are our big moves. I James Harden has no reason to come back and play basketball for the Houston Rockets this season, which is why I have him 13th. I don't think he does. I think he either gets moved or just does set out this entire season. As for what they did in the offseason, um, losing Robert Covington I think hurts this team defensively. Um, losing Austin Rivers hurts his bench depth a little bit. I, outside of that, though, bringing in Christian Wood, bringing in John Wall, this team really didn't change a whole lot. They brought back the exact same roster, so <laughs> they're going to have decent three-point shooting. But without James Harden there to put up all of these points, this is going to be a pretty bad team unless we get super Washington Wizards John Wall back out here, which I'm certainly not expecting after the injury. So obviously we are working under slightly different pretenses here because you are expecting him to leave. I am expecting him to stay and play this season. I will say, although he doesn't have a huge number of incentives to play basketball, at the end of the day, a 31-year-old who is coming off a season in which he averaged 34 points per game, if he is told point blank and the action suggests that he will not be moved, I do think that he plays basketball. We haven't seen a guy hold out in any situation that I can remember, and so I don't expect that to happen this season. It would be historically unprecedented, and maybe that is the world we're living in because he's doing some wild stuff as is where he's not reporting to camp, and obviously he hasn't really shown any indication that he's going to show up and play with the Rockets, but I think he ends up playing the season out there, and if that is the case, then I will explain why I do have the Rockets as a playoff team because it... I really thought about what range I wanted to have them in. I compared them to the teams I have 5 through 7. I also compared them to the team that I have 9 because I thought that they could fit into either tier. Ultimately, what it comes down to is Harden-led teams just don't miss the playoffs. They won 55 games in 2016-17 with a starting 5 of him, Patrick Beverly, Trevor Ariza, Ryan Anderson, and Clint Capella. That is how special this dude can be as far as singularly driving offense and this is obviously one of his weaker rosters, but the team is better than that. You have Wall, you have Eric Gordon, you have P.J. Tucker, you have Christian Wood off the bench. You have Daniel House and Ben McLemore and Boogie Cousins. So 
The Covington loss matters a lot. It is what enabled them to play that small ball style, that true small ball style that obviously they are now veering away from because he was such an incredible defensive presence and was able to hang with guys out of the post. I think the Rivers loss hurts them a little bit too just as far as having quality rotational guys. So they're not going to be better this year than they were last year. That's for sure. They didn't really find their formidable rotational big man on defense. Cousins is theoretically an improvement just because physically he's imposing enough there, but who knows what Boogie Cousins is, and he's never really been a plus defender in his career. So they will suck on that end. They managed to be average last year. They actually improved once they made the shift to full-on small ball, but I doubt they maintain that, losing their co-best defender in Robert Covington, who made that entire system possible. Would, although he has instincts as a shot blocker and as athletically imposing as a rim protector, he can't really guard big traditional fives because his frame isn't filled out enough. So there are all your concerns defensively. That limits the ceiling of this team. But offensively, I really think they should be great because Wall is probably a downgrade from Russ as far as pure ability. In fact, I can say that that is almost a sure thing unless John Wall is suddenly remarkable this season. But he is a slightly better fit. Now, it's a problematic fit still, but he did shoot 44% on catch-and-shoot threes last year or the last year he played, 36% the year before that, 38 the year before that. So that's significantly better from Russell Westbrook, who could not throw a coin into a well from two inches away. I just made up that metaphor, and it was just terrible. It was just awful, but I had to make it work once I started coming out of my mouth. So although Wall does have many of the same flaws as Westbrook, I do think he's slightly better there. I think they have adjusted this roster a little bit to fit his preferences. I think the Christian Wood pickup adding the most efficient pick-and-roll big man in basketball is good for a guy like Wall who loves to run pick-and-roll. And they can truly play five out now because they have shooters galore. I think Eric Gordon will be better than last year. He was 31.7% from deep and injured, and that is just not characteristic of the level he normally plays at. So it'll be similar to last season's offense in some ways, but at the same time, they won't have to compensate for Westbrook's complete lack of shooting. I don't think teams will be trapping Harden as much because they won't have that non-shooter who they can let Rome like they could with Westbrook last year because John Wall may not be great, but he's good enough to where you probably have to at least keep a guy on him. So that empowers them there. And they have shooters who can just do their job, House and Macklemore. So it's a good roster. I don't really know what it means that Boogie Cousins right now, as I said, but I do know what it could mean. It could be a bruising interior presence who can space the floor, who can facilitate and make plays for others. I don't know what I'm expecting defensively in Golden State. He was abysmal and he has only gotten more injured and probably worse since then. But it's a good roster. I think it's a playoff roster. When I compare them to the Golden State Warriors, who I'll give another spoiler I have as my nine seed, I just think it's a more talented team that I have a little more faith in. Logan making big eyes at me yet again. I feel like I'm giving away material for next episode, but you know what? We'll come in ready and we won't touch on it right now. So I think the X factor for this team is obviously the wall fit. In your different vision of this team, where they don't have James Harden, What is the X factor? How do they go from being 13th to being more competitive? Or why do you see them faltering and being 13th? Just because they need, I think they need James Harden. They need that scoring. Like, honestly, Carson, I think if there was going to be a year where Harden sits out, Russell Westbrook would fit pretty well alongside this team just because they can run this five-out offense now. But, uh... I think the X factor is probably Christian Wood and what we see him do this first year. Uh, we saw him take that leap last season with Detroit. If he can, if he's just a solid perimeter shooter, if they let him get his touches in this offense, if Wood balls out this season, uh, I, that'll be the only uh, saving grace I think for this team. Just because there'll be more touches without Harden in this offense, and 
we pretty much know with the rest of this roster what we're going to get, and that's solid perimeter shooting and solid defense from everybody throughout. So uh, I'd just say the fit between Wood and Wall is our swing if we don't see Harden. You make the point that this would be a great system for Westbrook. I would just say it's a great system for John Wall if James Harden doesn't play because that's a lot of space for him to work with. As I mentioned, it's a really good pick-and-roll role, man, and this is still a good team. Now, obviously, I do not see them sniffing the playoffs without James Harden, but I do think they'll be competitive, and I do think they could still be better than 13th as is. It really just depends on what John Wall looks like athletically. We're hearing good things. How does he fit? Is he willing to maybe play a little bit more as a cutter because... We know how Rockets' offenses have worked over these past couple years when it's been Harden and another dynamic guard. It's There's a Harden possession, there's a, C3, there's a CP3 possession, there's a Harden possession, there's a Westbrook possession. Maybe Wall could change that. Either way, I expect it to be pretty similar, but hopefully he comes back and plays there. If not, do you have a preferred destination for him? Because it seems like things aren't moving with the Nets. Now we've heard he wants to go to the Sixers, but he's open to other contenders. Obviously, Sixers would be awesome, but it sounds like they're not going to give up Simmons or Embiid to make it happen. Anywhere else stand out to you? I've heard the Philly conversation, and I don't really like it for Philadelphia either just because I'm that big a fan of Ben Simmons. Um, (laughs) I mean, honestly, if we could see Golden State, James Harden, and just see Steph Curry and Harden just chuck up shots all game long, that would be pretty fun to watch. I just, at this point, I don't know who makes the money work with James Harden. So, uh, preferably any team with stars. I want to see him play alongside Katie and Kyrie. I want to see him with Steph Curry just because that'd be fun basketball to watch. That being said, I just see him sitting out this season. I don't think any team can make the salary work. Wow. That would be really pretty incredible if it happened, and we will see how that all goes down. So let's move on to a team that is in a different situation. They've rebuilt their roster a little bit as well, but a lot of people are expecting big things from them this year. It's the New Orleans Pelicans. I have them 10th. I'm not quite as high on this roster as other people are. Where do you have this team? Uh, I have them barely uh, missing out on the initial playoff party. I have them ninth in the conference. Uh, I just think that spacing is probably going to be a huge issue if you're running Steven Adams at the 5 and Zion at the 4. I mean, uh, there's a superior talent on this roster. I think Zion's game could improve a lot more, and he's obviously proven to be one of the most consistent finishers at the rim and just offensive players when he... When he gets to the rack, he's pretty much unstoppable. And then you have a guy like Brandon Ingram, who was an all-star last season. Um, is just, He's just a bucket, man. And you can't you can't overstate the value of guys like that. Uh, spacing is going to be the issue here. With Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe as your two dominant point guards, that means you have, if you're running a lineup with Bledsoe or Ball and Williamson and Adams, you are running a three non-shooters on the floor pretty much. And... Uh, that's a discredit to Eric Bledsoe because I know he can shoot a little bit, but I don't want to run a rotation where I have that many guys who can consistently not make shots. So that being said, the X factor for this team is going to be how many minutes and how consistent Josh Hart and J.J. Redick can be on the perimeter. Uh, Redick, uh, we've seen alongside guys who love to pass the ball, Lonzo and Ben Simmons, he has thrived. Last season, Redick put up 15 points per game. He shot 45% from deep. Uh, Ingram was high up there as well at 39%. If the Pelicans can get shooting performances uh, consistent up around 40% from Redick, from Hart, from Ingram, I think they can win some games. But the rest of this lineup cannot consistently hit shots, and that's why I have them not being as good a team. They just... They don't fit for how the game should be played. That being said, though, the Pelicans are going to have an awesome defense next year with Lonzo, with Bledsoe, with Zion, with Adams. Good luck going and getting a bucket on these guys. I mean, I 
I do not want to go to the rim on any of these guys because you are getting taken down. Yeah, try big-bodying Zion and Steven Adams down there. That is going to be the fun aspect of this team to watch, but shooting is the major concern for this roster in winning games. Do you think they start Redick over Lonzo just to work out those spacing issues? I would debate. I think you have to start Redick. I think Redick is a must-start at the two-guard for this starting lineup. I think the question is, do you want to start Lonzo or Eric Bledsoe? Personally, I want to start... Call me crazy, Carson. We can hash this out. I want to start Lonzo Ball because he gives me that defense, and I know he can't hit a shot to save his life, but... A pick-and-roll duel with Zion, I like them uh, there, and Lonzo just likes to share the basketball. So uh, I just like Lonzo a little more because he's younger, I guess, than Eric Bledsoe. Would you start Eric at the one? I think that's what they're going to do. I think their starting backcourt is going to be Bledsoe and Lonzo, which is the worst possible outcome as far as spacing goes. And Lonzo obviously improved as a shooter last year. He was 37-plus percent from deep. He's inconsistent, though, and we'll see how sustainable that really is. And the reason I have this team low, and I have them 10th, is because although people are expecting such great things from Zion, and I love Brandon Ingram, and I know they were a really good team with Zion on the floor last year. They were plus 4.7 points per 100, which is a quality playoff team. Fit matters a lot, and it's really primarily the issues that you already touched on, but a Bledsoe-Zion pick-and-roll headed into a paint where Steven Adams is standing is ugly offense. So unless, and here's an outcome that we didn't discuss because I don't think it's going to happen, but Unless Kyra Lewis is suddenly starting over Bledsoe and running high-level pick-and-roll, that's just flat-out bad because, to me, he is the long-term solution offensively for this squad. He is that guy who has the lightning-quick first step to where he's imposing in half-court offense and he can make jump shots off the dribble and make plays out of the pick-and-roll and all that. Bledsoe, I know that he can do it, but the lack of a jump shot off the dribble to me when you're also playing a non-shooting center because... Bledsoe was effective out of the pick-and-roll last year, but that's with Brooke Lopez primarily standing out around the three-point line. So you have Steven Adams. He can't really get farther than 12 feet away from the bucket with a defender following him. His guy's just going to hang out in the paint. So now Zion has to deal with more congestion. B.I. has to deal with more congestion, which I don't think is great for him. Lonzo has to deal with more congestion, which is going to probably just hurt his pure shooting of the basketball. So it just disrupts everything. And I think particularly it's damaging for Zion because I don't feel like he has room to grow here unless he suddenly has an improved handle, and improved shooting from the perimeter, he's just going to be barreling into a crowded paint time and again, and he can take basically anyone on one-on-one from within 16 feet and just overpower them, but he can't take everybody on one-on-two, and if there is constant help defense there, which is not hard to do with Steven Adams, I'm concerned about that. So we'll see what Zion's outside shot is. If he's consistently 37, 38% from deep, That would be unreal because he shot 46% or whatever last year, but on such a small sample size. If he's an actual threat from out there and you have to close out semi-hard on him, then he's unstoppable because his first step is so quick. And obviously, once he has a head of steam, you're not going to stop him. But he's still going into a paint with Steven Adams there, which is just concerning. So I'm not confident that the supporting cast really takes strides as far as Nikhil Alexander-Walker or Jackson Hayes, these young guys. I didn't really see that much from them last year that says they're suddenly going to be relevant contributors on a good team. And defensively, they will be really good. They were 21st there last year. Their transition defense was abysmal. They just really weren't that committed to that side of the ball. Offensively, I I think they'll take a step back, honestly, even with a full season of Zion, just because I think the fit is so bad. But the X factor to me is how good is the defense? Because if it's elite, if it's a top five defense in basketball, then I think they're probably tough to turn down. But... I really want to see how Zion develops there because 
I thought coming into the league, his defense would be one of his greatest attributes. It wasn't quite the case in his rookie campaign, so I want to see how quick is he laterally. Can he protect the rim well enough to play the five in stretches because that would open up so much for this team if they don't have to play Adams and Zion together at all times or Zion and Hayes together to where he's always alongside a non-shooting big man. So alongside the spacing, which I think is the obvious biggest thing for this team, I look at that defense because... You have some incredible individual defenders. Bledsoe, Lonzo, obviously Steven Adams. He's maybe not the most switchable, but as a rim protector and just one of the best rebounders that we have in this league, he is valuable. Josh Hart is a guy who gives tremendous effort. So it's a good roster on paper, but you just don't see teams constructed in this way very often anymore. And I think it'll be particularly detrimental to their young supernova in Zion Williamson. So let's move on now to discuss Zion's rookie counterpart. And it's interesting that there's going to be a little bit of an interdivision rivalry here for a long time. Two teams with promising young cores and really exciting stars driving everything. The Memphis Grizzlies are a team that was obviously in playoff position for most of last season, ended up just slipping out of their hands at the very end thanks to the incredible Portland Trailblazers run. But I have them 11th this year. It's not that I think they're going to be a worse basketball team. It's just the West is as loaded as ever. Logan, where do you have the Grizzlies? I have the Grizzlies eighth out West. I'm uh, I'm really confident in the fit in basically, I, I don't know that they're running back pretty much the same starting five and a lot of the same rotation that we saw last year. It's a proven formula that worked. So I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I think John Morant takes a little bit of a jump this season. I think potentially, uh, you know, 20 points per game uh, up near 10 assists. And I'm just, like I said, I just really like their starting five. I think Jonas Valanciunas alongside Jared Jackson works well because Jackson doesn't want to run the five. Um, and, He's, I don't know, I just don't think he's built ready for it yet. I think Jaron Jackson's can, uh, health is definitely a concern this season. He's coming off of another injury. We uh, don't know what to expect out of him, but he's a great pick-and-roll fit alongside John Morant. Dylan Brooks is a solid contributor. We know he's just a, he's a good 3-and-D guy, uh, put up 16 points per game last season. But that's where I think that, not at the two-guard spot, but on the wings is where we really see a swing with the Grizzlies. My X factor for this team is Justice Winslow. Uh, he's been out, and after their trade last season, I think there's a concern if we're just going to get the same player. He's dealt with so many lower body injuries, so many just setbacks. And the last time that we saw Winslow, he was a really good – he wasn't a really good, but he was a contributing catch-and-shooter. He could run uh, secondary ball handling duties and was a really good pick-and-roll uh, guy. And I think in Memphis that fits even better because in the starting five, are you going to give it to Kyle Anderson and let him run some pick-and-roll minutes? No. John Morant needs a secondary ball handler. He needs someone that's going to be able to create for him and potentially help him grow as a shooter. Winslow's that guy. He's also a plus defender. Last season, Memphis was uh, 15th in defensive rating. I know they have the um, players the uh, players on this roster to make this even better. If Winslow comes back and is the same defender we saw in Miami, they even get even better on that side. So Winslow is the swing guy here. If he comes back and is healthy and – even could just put up, you know, 12 points per game, five assists and five boards. That is enough to get this team, I think, over the hump and have enough talent on the roster to get into the playoffs. So um, I'm, I'm all in. I think I'm in love with what Memphis has on this roster. They, they're they young, but they also have veteran leadership on this roster. I love it. I'm, I'm a little surprised as to why you don't have Memphis in the playoffs, Carson. I just think there are teams with more established veteran cores that I have faith in winning right now. And I will commend... The Grizzlies 
cohesion because they're basically running back what they had last year. It was a team that had a clear identity, that had chemistry, and I think all of that was to their benefit, but you talk about how it's a formula that worked, and it worked by the standards of the West last year to a 34-39 and record, which is respectable. It was really impressive considering the youth of this team, and they were slightly better than that before Jared Jackson Jr. got hurt, so I don't want to discredit them there, but it's just a different landscape out West right now. So again, it's not that they're going to get worse by any means. I just don't know how much they get better. It is a talented, deep roster with John Brooks and Winslow, who to me is the X factor as well. And triple J and Valanciunas off the bench. You have some real quality guys, Clark, Melton, Anderson, Grayson Allen, Desmond Bain, who I think will be an immediate Brooks esque contributor to this team in some ways. But the reason I think Winslow is the X factor is for a bunch of the reasons you laid out last. We saw him, It's not that he was an exceptional shooter, but he was 37.5% from deep in the last full season. And everything you mentioned, secondary ball handling plus defense, I think he can even run the point effectively in transition in some situations here and can also run along the wing as a cutter or as a spot-up threat. So I think that that's perfect alongside John Morant. Maybe we even see Winslow operate as a role man a little bit and do some stuff off the short roll to where he's screening for Jaw. There's a bunch of intriguing stuff there in my opinion, but... I like everyone individually here. I like Brooks. I like Triple J. I like Jonas Valanciunas. I like Brandon Clark. I like Melton. All these guys. I just don't know who really grows among that group. And I guess the argument would be John Morant because he is the best talent of this bunch. And we'll see how he improves. He was a 33.5% shooter from deep last year thanks to a very cold streak post-All-Star. He was above that for most of the year. 31% from deep on pull-ups. If he adds that consistently, he's an all-star immediately. I don't care what conference you're in. The dude is such a dynamic athlete, such a transcendent passer that that would really make him an elite pick-and-roll ball handler. He was 56th percentile out of the pick-and-roll last year. If he's knocking down jumpers off the dribble consistently, I think he's 90th percentile. The dude is just unstoppable there. And I like this team's competitiveness on defense where they were above average last year. I love the up-tempo offense. I think it's right for their personnel. I'm interested in seeing if they stray away from Valanciunas at all because you talk about how you like his fit and his compliment to John Morant. He was really effective last year. I think he benefits in some ways from the fact that the NBA has gone so small because the dude is so refined out of the post and so strong that he can just punish smaller lineups. But you do have to think that long-term Triple J will probably be the five, and Valanciunas, if this team is ever going to contend for a championship, is not going to be there. So I wonder if they make any adjustments there. But outside of Winslow, who we've already discussed as the kind of guy who can swing this team, who else really improves? Is it Brandon Clark? Is it Triple? Is it Triple J? Because I want to discuss where those guys are headed. I think it's interesting. I just don't know if any of them take that revolutionary next step. I would say Brandon Clark, maybe, uh, just because he was so dominant last season in limited minutes. But, yeah, I guess I'd take John Morant. I don't know. I, I Right now, I even think if we don't see dramatic improvements from some of these younger guys, you know what? Actually, I, I'm going to go with another guy. Just I don't know why I've blanked on him. Anthony Melton's huge. I wanted to bring this up. His contract, Memphis is so smart for this. Four years, like $34 million dollars. This contract is genius. De'Anthony Melton is a is a diamond in the rough, man. I'm telling you. I think I think he's the guy that's going to take this jump off the bench. Secondary ball handling duties, Tyus Jones is probably going to handle the majority, but Melton's already a plus defender. He's extremely athletic. Um, and I just have confidence in him running an offense here for this next season. He's only 22. Over the next four years, if he grows, maybe you could see him be the sixth man for this Memphis team. Uh, 
he just he's got a lot of tools and he's already so young. I think Melton's probably the guy that I'm going to pick out to take a big jump. I also think another uh, young guy that we haven't talked about, Xavier Tillman Sr. from Michigan State. Uh, him and Jared Jackson Jr. were uh, re- they're really close. They played together at Michigan State uh, in the past uh, in college. Uh, they're really good friends. I think the immediate chemistry boost that you get from having these two guys run on the floor at the same time um, is going to be fun to watch. So I don't know, Carl. I think overall, I think the younger talent, we don't see grow as much, but I think there are opportunities for uh, John Morant, obviously, and then guys like Melton and Tillman off of the bench. I think Brandon Clark does suffer from this deep front court rotation that they already have in place, though. I like Clark. I just think he's relatively far along in his development. And really the only thing that you could ask him to add is a consistent three point shot. Cause although he shot it around 40% this deep, it wasn't on that much volume. And Melton is another guy who is really just a consistent three point shot away from being a great player. He's active as a cutter. You mentioned all of his other strengths out there. I love the guy. I also think it was a great value contract, but he's a 28% shooter from deep, which does limit what he can do without the ball in his hands, which will be his primary role here just because jaw is going to have the ball in his hands for the most part, or it's Melton running the second unit. And as are you, as you already mentioned, Tyus Jones is a bit of a more traditional true point guard there as well. Although I certainly think that Melton is the better player of the two. So To me, this ceiling of this team really comes down to Triple J and if he can take that jump in his third year because he excels at what he does. He's obviously special defensively in some ways. At the same time, he's the most foul-prone player we have in basketball. It's the reason he can't play 30 minutes a game even though he's this team's second best player because he just can't stay out there on the floor. I want to see him improve as a presence on the glass to where he could really hang with fives more and be that interior guy consistently and not just a help side rim protector. I want to see him refine his in-between game to where it's not just knocking down triples as his greatest weapon because the dude has touch and all that, but can he be a presence out of the post? It just, a lot of this comes down to his discipline and refining some of the areas in which I feel like he still needs to grow. And I have question marks about that team when I compare it to a core like the Pelicans, which I think just has more talent or the Rockets or the Warriors, these teams above them, where I just think there's more talent there. So I like the Grizzlies a lot. My question with this team is always, who's their second best guy in a championship reality? And can Jaw be that 24-point-per-game imposing scorer instead of just a really good scorer, a fantastic passer, but maybe not your offensive closer because of his lack of shot-making off the dribble? So that's why I couldn't have the Grizzlies any higher. Let's wrap this up with a team that for so long was the dynasty. They were the bar everybody was looking to match out west, and now... I have them 13th. It's the San Antonio Spurs. Where do you have them? Yeah, Carson, it um, it crushed my soul having to write this and and look at it. Uh, I have the Spurs going 12th in the conference, and man, I have them going 27 and 45. I that's something I never thought. I don't know. The Spurs have been so dominant for so long. It's just weird to think that this team won't even be close to contention this year. And uh, they were ninth in offensive rating last season. I think we see a drop-off in that just because of how their players play basketball. DeMar DeRozan is not a refined enough three-point shooter to be a, va- a valuable player on any team. That's how bad it is for DeMar. Um, LaMarcus is a decent three-point shooter, but they just don't have, any, they don't have enough top-end talent to win a whole lot of games. That being said, there is a bright spot for the San Antonio Spurs team, and it's the young guards that they've drafted. Derek White, DeJounte Murray, and Lonnie Walker the fourth will all have just ball to go around to, to do something, to improve, to become better shooters, to become better playmakers, to 
to become leaders on this team. That's that's the silver lining. They've drafted really well in these past few years to set themselves up to go into a full rebuild. Devin Vassell and Trey Jones will also be able to play big roles this season. Um, I don't know if it's this year, Carson. I don't know if it's next year. DeRozan and Aldridge will not be on the books that much longer. I think DeRozan leaves in free agency this next season. I think Aldridge is soon to go, and they go into this full rebuild. But uh, honestly, Carson, I think the Spurs lineup is just – prehistoric right now. Uh, Jakob Pertl at the five, LaMarcus Aldridge at the four. It's it's just not a winning five right now. Um, the season is going to go down the drain. They're going to be a lottery team, but they've got a, long, a lot of young talent to build around in these coming seasons to where uh, they can be a competitive team in the next season. But Sadly, it's going to take a year of stinking, of getting a high draft pick, of lucking out in the lottery, and getting that guy to build around for this Spurs team to turn it around. But uh, we had a good run. Yeah, we certainly did. It was a lot of beautiful basketball for many years, and we'll see how long Pop hangs around with this squad. But I do want to question even the silver lining that you highlighted, because with Murray and White and Walker, I don't really know if there's going to be an expansion of opportunities for them. Bryn Forbes is out of the picture now. He started last year. It's not like he was sucking up ball handling duties. He was just operating off the ball. So everything is still going to be the DeRozan Aldridge pick and rolls, and that's honestly my X factor for this team. It's not necessarily Murray and White because I feel a little bit more like we know what they are. White is the kind of guy who can play quality defense, who can knock down shots, not a primary ball handler. DeJounte Murray, until he is consistently knocking down jumpers off the dribble, there's a ceiling to what he can be. He's a kind of Swiss Army knife. I don't know if I really want him as my point guard, as my primary ball handler. So I see the X factor as the even younger guys than that. Keldon Johnson, Luka Samanich, and Lonnie Walker. Can any of them step up and become consistent, valuable rotation guys? Because we know that this team will be decent. They have 10 quality NBA players. You can go down with the starting five off the bench. You have Patty Mills. You have Trey Lyles. You have Pirtle, Walker, Vassell. All of those guys are solid NBA players. There's nobody who the Spurs are going to play who I look at and say, that guy sucks, and the offenses was obviously really effective last year. I don't know how much that changes. The Forbes loss doesn't change too much. And as long as you have DeRozan and Aldridge, this team will be solid. Aldridge was a 39% shooter from three on three attempts per game last year. He tried to evolve a little bit and improve. It's just too little too late for him at this stage in his career. And DeRozan, although... He obviously is never going to prefer shooting from the perimeter. He was a lead out of the pick and roll last year. He was 91st percentile because when you shoot 70% at the rim and 46% from mid-range, it's not the end of the world that you can't shoot. And he's also taken strides like he has as a passer. Now, it hurts them a lot for sure that they don't have that kind of spacing and that he's also a minus defensively, but he is at the very least capable of getting his and creating some level of offense. So that's why this team's going to be solid. And even 13th in the West, in my opinion, is solid. You're a solid basketball team if you're able to sustain that level just because there is so much talent in the league and particularly in that conference right now. But when I look at these three young guys, Samanich, we know that he did well in the G League. He barely played at all last season. I don't know what he's going to be. I know he had an intriguing combination of skill at his size, handle, shot, all that. We'll see if that matters at all. We'll see if he plays. Walker is the kind of guy who I have continually expected to play more. Shot 40-plus percent from deep last year. He has the tools to be a plus defender. The dude has really long arms and is a good athlete. And he has the handle and the shot making off the dribble and the finishing around the rim to be a good shot creator. The dude could, not out west, be an all-star, but he has like real high-level scoring upside and plus defense, you would think. And yet he's playing 16 minutes a game and he's consistently getting guys like Bryn Forbes over him in the rotation who we know where there are. So maybe 
Pop just doesn't really want to experiment with these young guys, but I want to see it. Keldon Johnson killed it in summer league before his rookie season, was murdering people. In preseason too, actually, I can't remember really which one he was more dominant in. And then, in a very limited sample size, shot 59% from three this past year, 13 of 22, but he barely played in 17 games. So you have all these guys you've invested in who have shown flashes, maybe not Samanich, but at the very least he was productive in the G League and is a guy who I liked enough coming out. So when do we actually see them? When do we see them prove themselves? And it's crazy, but I've almost moved on from the White and Murray generation because I feel like we know what they are and they haven't had that opportunity to shine yet. They're going to be solid NBA players, but this is a organization that drafted so well for so long and all of a sudden it's like they don't really have any interest in trying to develop these young guys and give them the opportunity. So I'm just pessimistic about them there, but they have good basketball players. Rudy Gay has had a bit of a resurgence and is still a good basketball player. Aldrich, DeRozan, Mills, you can question how much these guys impact winning, but they are competent at least in their roles. But I want to see what the young guys do, and that is where I look for this team. Carson, is this the last year for Greg Popovich? I don't know. We know that he wants to coach the Olympic team, so I guess maybe he could go out with a gold medal instead of going out with a 13th place team. That honestly might not be the worst thing for him. I kind of want to lean yes. I don't know how much longer he's going to keep going with this roster, and the rebuild is coming, and maybe he's resisting it. Maybe it's why this is the case, but we've talked about this before. It's just at some point you got to hand the keys over of this organization somewhere else because there's no world in which they make the playoffs at this point. The West is just too good, and their roster is not by any means trending in the right direction. So the good news is they have very little on the books after this coming season because it's really just the DeJounte Murray contract, and then now they've extended Pirtle, so they will have flexibility, but let the young guys do their thing, man. So that's going to do it for us here today. We have run down now two-thirds of the league, and I think what we consistently see is there's a lot of good rosters here, and there are some teams that are going to miss out on the playoff party that maybe in a normal year would be there, and we are going to, in my opinion, get to the two most loaded divisions, maybe two of the three because the Atlantic is really strong as well, in our final episode, which will be coming out next Monday. So that's all we have today. Go ahead and check out our last episode in which we touched on the first 10 teams in this series. We will be coming out with some NFL talk this Friday. And we're just excited to get going and get into some NBA basketball because this is going to be an awesome season. So I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was their set. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.